Let us begin our sermon with prayer. King of glory, as we await the last day when you shall reveal your undeniable glory to all the world, we ask you to bless the words of today's sermon that we may see your glory at Mount Sinai, in the manger, and hidden in our new life in you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 through 18. Moses went up onto the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered the mountain for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses out of the middle of the cloud. The appearance of the glory of the Lord looked like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered into the middle of the cloud and climbed up the mountain. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of our Lord. When the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt, he went ahead of them, leading them in the pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so they see the glory of the Lord in that cloud and in that pillar of fire. But it's actually in Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, which was part of last week's text, sermon text, that that term kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord, that's how the Jews pronounce it. We would say kavod Yahweh. In that form, it's the first time it appears. And the next time it appears is in today's text. It appears when God is ratifying the covenant he had just made earlier with them about their being his people and his being their God. And we'll get into that here in a minute. And here right before Moses enters that cloud, that kavod Adonai, God has a feast, a fellowship meal with the elders to ratify that covenant. But we are told today that 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 Kavod Adonai was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. So our sermon theme for today, as we look for that coming glory of the Lord to be revealed in the last day, but hidden as it is revealed in the manger. Our sermon theme is the glory of the Lord is revealed like a devouring fire. Now, that's important for us to keep in mind, because that's some pretty scary stuff. See. God comes in that devouring fire that Kavod Adonai is seen after God had made the covenant with the people. And in fact, God speaks the Ten Commandments to them. Now, it's going to be after Moses enters into the Kavod Adonai that he gives them the stone tablets. And we know the rest of that story. But God actually speaks them to the people. And when he speaks then, that cloud is there on top of the mountain and and there's thunder and there's fire and there's shaking and it scares the people. We're told in Exodus 20 verses 18 through 20, which is uh, before today's text, all the people saw and heard the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain smoking. The people saw and they trembled and stood far away. Then they said to Moses, Speak with us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak with us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come to test you so that you may always fear him so that you do not sin. The people had been told they were not even to approach the mountain. They were not even to touch it or they were to be stoned to death. But when God speaks those words of the Ten Commandments and, and, if, and the basics of the covenant, and it, you do this and I'll do that and, and everything will be great. When he spoke all of those words to them, it shook and it was terrifying for the people. 
That's a reminder for us. Because therein is death. An unholy people, and everybody born since Adam and Eve except for Jesus, are unholy. They cannot approach the Lord. The Lord is perfectly holy. Now, if you mix, take water that's pure, and you mix just a little bit of rat poisoning in there, it's no longer pure water, is it? And when it comes to holiness, it's an all or nothing thing. One sin makes you unholy, and that's the end of the story. And if an unholy person is to approach God, his holiness will destroy them. And that shakes us to our core, doesn't it? Because the glory of the Lord is revealed like a devouring fire, devouring all that is not holy. And that puts an end to all of our excuses. If we want to sit there and complain, how can God expect? Boom, we're destroyed. If we think we can have shortcuts to the Lord, well, I'll do enough good to counterbalance the bad. It doesn't work. Any unholiness approaching the Lord is destroyed. And so our excuses are gone. Before I ever came to be a pastor, especially in Wyoming, this is kind of an outdoor playboy's paradise, if you can tolerate all the wind. And I heard it all the time, even when I was a kid going to church, I'll worship God in my own way. And what they mean is, I'm going to go camping, I'm going to go hunting, I'm going to go fishing, I'm not going to be in church. And when somebody says, you are staying away from the means of grace, then I'll claim this is how I worship God. But do you know what God is really being worshipped? It's not the true God. It's creation. And people who want to stand before the Lord, for example, on Judgment Day and say, well, Lord, I worshipped you just in my own way. Destroyed. Done for. Or... As it so often happens, people fall away from the word of the Lord. And when you knock on their door and you tell them you're not coming to church, they say, well, I'll do that when I get around with it. I'm busy right now, but eventually I'll get around to it. I can tell you how sad it is, how often it is. You knock on the door, you knock, you knock, you knock. They never come. They, in fact, they even get frustrated that you keep bothering, that you love them enough that you don't want to see them there. And what you find out is eventually they just never do come. Standing before the Lord, well, Lord, I meant to. You're destroyed. You're not holy. And again, the idea of entitlement. Well, God created me and, and I, I'm entitled to this because, no. People, the Jewish people, when Jesus was born and who rejected him as their savior, they found out that just because they had the right lineage, it wasn't going to help them in the slightest. Unholiness gets destroyed before a holy God. We're going to get more into this when we get in the third point. And for those who do trust in God, uh, we're going to have relief there. But for now, we see the glory of the Lord is revealed like a devouring fire, devouring all that is not holy. And that stands true. God is holy. And if you're going to stand before him at any time, you better be holy because one bit of unholiness, you're destroyed. But. When does that kavod Adonai appear to, in today's text? It's, going, it's to ratify a covenant. It had already been given. And the gist of that covenant is given back in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. Let me read that to you. Now, if you will carefully listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my special treasure out of all the nations. Although the entire earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Moses went and summoned the elders of the people, and he said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. There is the covenant. And 
the gist of it is you keep my laws to a person, you follow them, and I will keep you as a sovereign nation. You will shine out to the world in holiness, and you will be a fear to your enemies, but you will also be a light shining on a hill. If you want to know the Lord, if you want to be able to stand in eternity with holiness, here's where it's to be found. And the people said it's a deal. After this, God speaks the Ten Commandments and several clarifications of the covenant. God is not a slimeball attorney at all. He has Moses coming and talk to them. He makes it abundantly clear to the people the covenant they're getting into. And after all of that in Exodus 24 verses 3 through 4, which is the verses just prior to today's text, we're told Moses came and reported to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Now, this is what we call a two-sided covenant. When you go to get a loan with a bank or something like that, that's a two-sided contract. They do their part, they loan you the money, and you are to do your part. You're not to miss a payment, etc., until it's paid off, and you're to pay interest. And that was a two-sided covenant. It was not a covenant for salvation, but the two-sided covenant was, again, that God would keep, would protect them, they would shine out with holiness, and they would be sovereign. They would only be dependent on the Lord. They would never be subject to other nations if they did their part. And their part was to follow those rules. Now, sadly, as we already just told, hint, hint, Moses enters that kavod Adonai, and he's gone 40 days and 40 nights. When he comes off the mountain, he's gone too long, and they're worshiping a golden calf already broke the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods. Don't even make an idol and carve it and worship it. And sadly, each generation, with the exception of a few, are not faithful and they break the covenant. So the northern kingdom, this is over a thousand years later, God says enough and he lifts his, and he lifts his protection and lets the Assyrians have at them. That should have been a warning for the southern kingdom of Judah. 150 years later, God says enough with that southern kingdom and he lifts his hand and he sends Nebuchadnezzar in. That was a two-sided covenant and sinners who are unholy will always break the contract. But when Christ appears in that manger, he's actually mediating another covenant. He has come to put it in effect to make it and he's going to send out his apostles and he has sent people to you to tell you here's a new covenant. And it's actually a covenant that was promised to Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Hebrew word for seed is what the male provides. That's the word sperm in English today. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and that serpent will bite his heel. He made that covenant also with Abraham. He had made it clear through Noah it was going to come through Shem, Abraham's his descendant. Then although Judah clearly didn't deserve it, he lets Judah know it's going to come through you. And one of Judah's descendants, David, who will be king, he tells David, the Messiah will be your descendant. But this is a two-sided covenant with all who will believe, with true Israel of all believers. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 12 is the clearest on this. But now Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much superior as the covenant that he mediates is better because it has been established on the basis of better promises. 
Indeed, if the first covenant were without fault, there would have been no reason to look for a second. But because God found fault with the people, he said, look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers at the time when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remember my covenant. I ignored them, says the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Never again will a man teach his fellow citizen or his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful in regard to their unrighteousness and I will not remember their sins any longer. When God said new, he made the first covenant obsolete and something that is obsolete and growing old is going to disappear. The covenant Christ makes is with the true Israel. That's the invisible church. It's his bride. Here's how it works. That covenant is a one-sided covenant. God took on human flesh and so he was holy in your place, stood up to all temptation. God then had to remove your breaking of his law, your unholiness. So he goes to the cross and dies in your place. Then he rises. God the Father giving his stamp of approval. Yep, Christ has done it all. But as John 3.16 makes it clear, there's one thing God demands. It's faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But I'm like, this is where Christians get confused. They think it's a two-sided covenant. So I decide that I want to be in a covenant with the Lord. Lord, I give my heart to you. I make a decision for you. Nope, that's not how it works. God sends somebody with the word. The Holy Spirit comes through that message. Sometimes it takes a lot of somebodies. In fact, with all of us, it takes a lot of somebodies. But he, that Holy Spirit works through the word and he creates the faith that is demanded. So it's a one-sided covenant. God does all the work. God does all the keeping. You and I can reject it. We can, that, that's the only way we can screw it up. Say, you know what, Lord? You keep my faith strong by being in the word. Either I'll embrace the sin as much as I love you and reject it. Or I'll just stay away from your word and starve my faith off. God does all the work. He demands faith. He even provides the faith. And then he provides the new person in you that is drawn to the word where he nourishes that faith. So the old covenant, two-sided, sinners are going to screw it up. New covenant, God does all the work. Isn't that comforting? So we see the glory of the Lord is revealed like a devouring fire, devouring all that is not holy. And here it was mediating the covenant. It was actually ratifying it. But with you and I, God takes on human flesh. He even gives of his life so that he can wash our sins away. That's a one-sided covenant, a covenant he had promised way back to Adam and Eve. Now, the next thing we want to focus on before we conclude our sermon is Moses entered into that cloud. He's in it 40 days and 40 nights. And although that, that fire was a devouring fire that should kill sinners, and Moses was a sinner, remember, he even won't be allowed to enter the promised land because he's going to sin and screw up the word of the Lord when he was supposed to give the people grace, and instead he gave them law for whining about water. But God consecrates Moses and lets him approach. God must make Moses clean. Neither devouring Moses. This is because... God will become a man. 
God, who is holy, can now touch humankind. Now remember, he does not have the father ingredients. He gets his humanity purely from the zygote. So there's no sinful nature. God and man touch in Christ Jesus. And isn't it amazing to think because that he becomes a man so he can consecrate us, so he can give us eternal life that becomes ours through faith. Isn't it amazing to think that Mary, who is a sinner, she'll even sing out that her savior is born. And if she was not a sinner, she would not need a savior. But for nine months, he chooses to be in the womb of a sinner. He allows a sinner like Joseph and a sinner like Mary to change his diapers. When he's brought to the temple, we're going to get into the temple next week, at least the tabernacle, which was a pattern of his coming. When he's brought to the temple, a, a, a believer like Simeon is allowed to rejoice and hold that baby, hold God, the God man in his arms. Because he has come to make us clean with his blood. And so Hebrews 12 verses 18 through 24 spells this out for you and I. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and into burning fire, to darkness, to gloom, to a raging storm, to the sound of a trumpet and to a voice that spoke. Those who heard the voice asked that not one more word be added because they could not endure what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the tens of thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, to God, who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people who have been made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new testament, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better message than the blood of Abel. You need not fear if today is the day that you uh, die and go to heaven, that would be your judgment day. Or if we are the last generation and Christ appears tomorrow, if you know him as your savior, if you have that faith that God supplies, you have the blood of Christ and your daily sins are washed away. So you can approach the Lord and stand before him. Believers will fear that day when he returns. And they did not fear to murder him. They didn't fear like Herod to try to kill all the children in Bethlehem. They will then because he at that time as a baby, he was hiding his godhood. But for you and I, we like Simeon, if we could be there, we'd embrace and pick him up in our arms without fear. Here is my savior. We are part of the true Israel, the invisible church that's made up of all believers. And so you and I can rejoice because God took on human flesh. He was perfect in our place. He won salvation for us. And we look forward to the birth of our Savior that we'll celebrate on Christmas Day. Because of him, God's holiness neither devoured Moses, nor will it devour us, nor does it devour us at all. We can stand in that holiness and rejoice. The glory of the Lord is revealed like a devouring fire, devouring all that is not holy. The glory of the Lord came that time at Mount Sinai to, to ratify a covenant, to mediate that covenant, and you and I, when the glory of the Lord came and was hidden in that baby Jesus through his adulthood, that was so that you and I could receive the one-sided covenant, the covenant of salvation. That's the gospel. And because of that, neither, it neither devoured Moses nor us, for we have been made his children. Amen.
And now the brilliant light of Christ will continue to shine on our sin-enshrouded hearts and his light will continue to guide our feet on the path of peace. Amen.